Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every week on this show, we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious yet sane startups. We look at building companies not as, uh, I don't know, a vanity project, a way to get power and status in the world, but we, we think about it as a way to improve our lives, to bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to maintain healthy relationships. It's not about being a total bootstrapper. It's not about raising buckets of venture funding. It's about being capital efficient and building a company that serves perhaps multiple purposes rather than just being an IPO in 10 years, but that actually changes our lives or those around us. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining me again today. We're going to be covering bootstrapper news today with Tracy Osborne. I'm excited to talk about it. We have some pretty interesting stories, actually. Stack Overflow was acquired for $1.8 billion, came as a total surprise to me. Just a few minutes prior to recording this, Moz was acquired. We talk about people quitting instead of giving up remote work. And we wrap up the episode by talking about remote work and remote retreats. And if you are a remote team, how often to think about getting together. We also talk about a few highlights from our 2020 batch of founders and talk about what we feel like went well with that. And that kind of dovetails into the whole remote conversation of not being able to get together for retreats during this batch year and how that we feel like that impacted us and perhaps you know the cohesion of the batch itself. And today I'm talking these topics through with Tracy Osborne. She's Tracy Makes on Twitter. And of course, she is the managing director of Tiny Seed and author of Hello Web Design. Within the first few minutes of us chatting, you'll get to see that that book hot off the presses. She had self-published it and then later went through a publisher and has a nice hardcover copy. So with that, let's dive into today's show. Tracy Osborne, thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be back. Last time you were on, you were talking about your book, Hello Web Design. Before that, we did a Bootstrapper News episode. You're getting the book out. Yeah. Is that a physical hard copy, hard cover of your book? Yeah, it is a hard cover. The publishing company um, wanted to up the quality of it. So apologies to anyone who's listening in audio format. So just imagine a book that's hardcover. Used to be paperback. It looks really nice now. And it's, oh gosh, I don't know the exact date it's coming out, but it's going to be this month. Um, I know some people have already gotten their books. So yeah. Oh, that's cool. Listen to the last episode where I talked about my design book. <laughs> You'll get the link to buy my book that teaches entrepreneurs how to design. Sorry, I have to put a pitch in there. This is the perfect opportunity. <laughs> no starchpress.com slash Tracy Osborne's book. No, it's like slash hello dash web dash. Hello dash web dash design. <laughs> so, and before that, you and Interval Set were on the show to talk about Bootstrapper News. We've had all kinds of conversations around this. Anar is out of the office today. He's taking a day off. And so it winds up being you and I here recording. Thanks for doing it last minute. I found myself at the end of the week saying, I have no episode next week. So it's great. <laughs> I like how you just admitted that. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but yes, I'm very happy to always to, to be the person you go to when you uh, are in a Scrambling. pinch. Yeah, that was the thing. It doesn't happen very often. I mean, I often record at least a couple weeks ahead or I get stuff done Tuesday, Wednesday for the following week. But I don't know, this week there was a lot going on and uh, a lot of email, but we are going to be talking through news and other topics. We even have a listener question I might throw in depending on how time works out. And this is stuff that's related, I think, to developers, designers, founders, bootstrappers, and such, the folks who would listen to this podcast. The first story, what's funny is I hadn't heard about it, and it wasn't until I was digging through a bunch of social news sites for news over the past couple weeks that I read that Stack Overflow sold to a tech giant that I'd never heard of called Process, 
P-R-O-S-U-S, for $1.8 billion. And it says that it's Process's biggest investment in online learning and comes weeks after it sold a chunk from its massive Tencent holding. Stack Overflow, this is like the site. I mean, I, I listened to Joel and Jeff when they were launching Stack Overflow. They had a podcast around it. And I was, you know, I'm an early account. I don't think I ever answered a question, but this is like a mainstay for our communities. What's, what's, your, what's your take of this? I like how I haven't answered a question ever either, which just makes me kind of feel I've I've gotten so much out of Stack Overflow, whatever I'm programming, like any programmer, I'm using it on the minute, every minute, it seems like when I'm like trying to debug something. This is interesting to me because, I mean, one of the reasons why I work at Tiny Seed is that I'm a big fan of smaller companies and trying to enable a lot of people on the internet to like launch small things. And I love small teams like this goes into real life for me like I I do small businesses not big conglomerates and whatnot and it's been interesting to see the trends we we have in kind of I want to say the physical world of consolidation of, of businesses like news industries and seeing that move into online industries and you can see that here with process which I had never heard of either for being such a giant like a tech giant I guess it's um, South African I've never heard of them and when I was kind of researching a little bit for this story, kind of looking at all of the different acquisitions and properties they have that are all around kind of online learning and seeing how they're, it looks like they have this plan to go through all these online learning websites, supposedly keeping them independent and they're still running on their own, but they're still consolidating all these online learning websites kind of leads me to wonder about what's going to look like in say five or so years as you know, these companies are getting acquired and consolidated and are we going to have these like mega corporations that are kind of pushing for a certain way of learning when it comes to, like online learning, like pushing for certain ways of learning or being more, I don't know, I like, I, I want to say like anti-democratic, you know what I mean? When they like a big company comes in and, and takes over these small companies and then all of a sudden they all start looking the same. They all kind of have the same processes and whatnot. And on one hand, it's like more efficient. On the other hand, I kind of mourn for like the freedom of these small businesses. So I might be going like way too broad here, but it made me think about like news corporations and the consolidation there and then kind of seeing this happen in tech world. And, you know, just, uh, I kind of miss the, I told you earlier, I kind of miss the nineties where it seemed like everyone was just individuals running websites. And now we have these like mega corporations that are running things that I use actively and kind of makes me wonder how it's going to look in the short future. I wonder if you're the only person that misses the 90s because, man, the fashion was terrible. I guess the music was pretty good, but um, no, I'm joking. Uh, very fond memories of the 90s. But the... Frame websites. It's, websites yeah, filled with, like, we'd have all this, like, front-end developments nonsense. I just <laughs> built it with frames. Anyways, yeah. sorry, go ahead. The, the thing is, like, with, with any industry, there's always a bunch of players, and then consolidation is has been inevitable, right? Where it's like there were... 100 car manufacturers in the US and now there are three and there were 100 airplane manufacturers and now there are a handful around the world and there were a bazillion TV stations right and then it became just three uh, maybe that one's not true but radio i mean each of but each of these things have consolidated TV is the one where it got distribution and cable and it actually expanded but then there's only a handful of companies now that own them even if they're you know there's NBC and CBS and AMC or whatever, but they're only owned by a handful of, of companies. So I hear you on 
wanting the the days back where it's small players. Because like, again, you know, Joel Spolsky started a little software company called Fog Creek Software in, in 99 or 2000, started blogging, and then starts Stack Overflow. He was the CEO until 2019, I found out, and then he became the chairman. At that point, when the founder steps away or one of the founders steps away from being CEO, I feel like the clock is ticking for an exit. And this type of thing where they did raise venture funding, I think we, a lot of us were surprised because Joel was, you know, one of the few bootstrappers. Like he was the first person I'd ever heard who started a software company without raising venture funding. As shocking as that sounds today, in 2001, I was like, you can do that? That's a thing? Like I, I literally didn't know that was possible, you know? And I it, just every model I had seen was someone raising funding. So when they raised for Stack Overflow, I remember being super surprised. And Joel was like, look, Certain types of businesses, if you want to do have certain types of outcomes, you need buckets of money. And to do Stack Overflow the way they wanted to do it, with all the exchange, you know, the, the Stack exchanges and all the stuff, that was what they wanted to do. And and once you raise that level of money that they did, true venture, not tiny seed money, right? Not angel money. The clock starts ticking, right? You have to have a liquidity event. So they needed to IPO, or they needed to sell at a certain point. And I think the beauty of it, like I look at it as. I think it's cool for Joel and Jeff Atwood and the founders or whoever had equity in this, that they built something amazing and that they now walk away with boatloads of money to be able to invest in and fund future entrepreneurs. I, of course, am concerned about Stack Overflow itself. I don't use it, you know, at all anymore unless I'm helping my son troubleshoot a, you know, a 3D printer driver or something. But so, of course, when a private equity, I don't know if process is private equity or venture equity or what they are exactly. I guess I could have actually done some research, but basically they're some type of big conglomerate investment, you know, that's, that's rolling things up. But I'm excited about the things that can now, where are the opportunities? There's always opportunity for scrappy entrepreneurs to come in and is it Stack Overflow is not going to be good? So we can all, should we all start a new Stack Overflow? That would be, you know, a competitor. That would be crazy. You wouldn't have done that while Joel was running it because they would win. Or I guess there's just a lot more money in the startup ecosystem with Jeff Atwood and Joel and the other founders having this money to reinvest, I I think, back in startups. I think that's something that they will do. They will do interesting things with the money. They're not going to go retire on a beach somewhere. They're going to start their next company or they're going to help, you know, other entrepreneurs. So, but I'm a silver lining person when it comes to this stuff because there's definitely, as you're saying, both there's both sides of it. You know, there's a real a negative take, I think, that is very real. It's a real possibility. Yeah, I just looked it up actually. Um, Process uh, has stakes in companies. I mean, it still has a stake in Tencent, but they also have other education companies like Brainly, Code Academy, Udemy, Remitly, PayU. So some things I haven't heard of and some things I have. So it gives you a, an idea in terms of their their ecosystem there. You know, when I, when I say something about like consolidation and mourning it, like when I think about like radio stations, you know, it's, it's, you see the radio stations consolidate and they kind of get more bland and boring and vanilla because they, you know, there's no like local radio stations and it's harder, I think for individuals for radio to start up their own thing, but with tech and like, that's the thing that makes me like optimistic about what we can do on the internet, what we can do as like tech entrepreneurs is that, you know, if, Stack Overflow does, you know, if it goes in a direction that people don't want, then it's easier to start something new and, you know, kind of pull out those features, pull out anything that like, say, doesn't work anymore, Stack Overflow, as they make changes, if they make changes, and that the internet can evolve pretty quickly to kind of fill in that gap as compared to, say, some of these more, say, physical businesses. So that brings me a little bit of uh, of comfort. Obviously, I don't, I don't want Stack Overflow to change. Again, as someone who is... <laughs> 
I mean, I've never given back, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, but I appreciate for all the people who out there who have like spent the time and unpaid work to answer people's questions. And I hope that that kind of community sticks around uh, post acquisition. Yeah, no, that's and that's a good point because starting a new car company today would be very, very difficult. As we've seen with Elon Musk and Tesla, even though with all the money and all the influence and network he had, it's been a you know real uphill battle for him versus starting a, a competitor stack overflow. The network effect would be really hard, right? The two-sided marketplace aspect of it, but way more possible, you know, than starting a starting a car company. It's interesting because I have to, we have another story. I don't know that we need to cover like in depth, but literally 33 minutes ago, the story broke that Moz was acquired by eye contact. And I get a text from Anar and I'm like, wow, you know what's going to happen, but I'm always surprised when it does. And really, why should I be surprised? Again, it's a venture backed business that was doing, I think, 70 million a year last year. SaaS app, it's worth a lot of money. The founder left a few years ago to start Spark Toro, and it's probably natural that they, you know, the new CEO they brought in was to kind of groom it and and get it in line for an exit. And we don't have any details about price or about outcome or anything, but this is another thing. I think this is a, you know, the critique of venture capital is that they don't build businesses for the long term, right? Because there does have to be this liquidity event usually a sale. I would, but what's interesting is I've realized over the past several years, like IPO, obviously also a liquidity event. And an IPO is just really just raising funding from the public. And if you, you know what I mean? It's a lot of people will say like, oh, they, they IPO and they sold out or they sold everything. And it's like, no, it's just, they sold another 10 or 20%, just like a funding round. And oftentimes the founders or the current CEO will, will stick around for that. Yeah. I didn't get that for a long time either. Like if IPOs felt like this big, I mean, it is still like a giant event and whatnot, but it's still, like you said, if you just, you know, it's the same thing, you know, taking a bit of your company instead of going to private investors or going public. Looking at the Moz thing, it is, it's also, I, I am looking forward to seeing what news comes out of this. I hopefully we'll hear from Brand soon and I hope that it, it worked out well for him. But like eye contact was another company where it's like, oh, they have, they're acquiring Moz to form a suite of leading SEO, email, and digital marketing solutions for small and mid-sized businesses. So it's another example of this like consolidation, you know, a bigger company being like, okay, we need another company in our portfolio. So we have this full portfolio, this full ecosystem of different tools. And I guess we'll just see what happens with Moz too. Yeah. And that's it. The plus of this is Hopefully, Rand and whoever else had equity and the investors walk away with enough money that they now are reinvesting back in the ecosystem. I mean, Rand himself, even before this exit, is uh, an investor in Tiny Seed. He's a mentor at Tiny. Like he's giving back to the entrepreneurial community in in ways that his means have allowed. And if Rand has more means, he will, I think, give back more. So that's the I think the the plus side of this. And of course, the negative side is if you're a Moz customer, things are going to change, right? They're pretty likely to. That's where it's good that we do have competitors, right? SEMrush, Ahrefs, you know, there are other tools out there that do similar things. So it's just a bummer if you've been using a tool for 10 years, it gets sold, you're waiting for the inevitable changes. The playbook, as you said earlier, these things all start to, they start to be run the same. It's it's the playbook, right? The private equity or the strategic playbook. I know, got to bring the people in to make everything efficient and that efficiency is reflected across every one of their properties and then everything looks the same. Yep, and I think the, don't do this, but if you read the Hacker News comments for any of this, no, you're inevitably, or even just the comments on on anything, you're going to see things like, the founders sold out, you hear this phrase, or it's almost this like, no one should ever sell their company. And you know what? 
that's just not realistic because people don't want to run the same company for 40 years. A, it gets boring. B, there's a lot of risk. You can have all of it. You can have tens of millions of dollars in net worth tied up in an asset that you have no liquidity in. So it just doesn't make sense. It's usually said from someone who's never built a company worth tens of millions of dollars a year who is, who is saying these things, you know? Of course, do things sometimes get worse after a company's sold? Of course. But there's, there's a flip side. Are there, you know, are there silver linings to this as well? Yeah. I mean, it's a, the service more stable because there's more tech support within the company, more IT, more, more of that, like uh, more personnel. Are they able to add more features quickly? Are they able to be, you know, the consolidation with other parts of the suite is that, you know, I'm thinking of Microsoft, you know, Microsoft has a whole suite of applications. A lot of these applications all talk to each other. So there's a lot of benefits there as well when you uh, opt into some of these conglomerates. Yeah. It is still disconcerting, though. I'll admit. I'll admit. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, next story. Oh, we're going to link up all these stories. This is on Bloomberg.com, and it says, Employees are quitting instead of giving up working from home. The drive to get people back into offices is clashing with workers who've embraced remote work as the new normal. And it you know, talks about someone who is called into the office for a six minute in-person meeting or something. And she's like, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm quitting. My brother lives in the Bay area. Most of my family does actually. And he um, said that he is friends with some folks who work at Apple and they lived near him. And when the remote work started, they moved like a two hour drive away because the houses are so much cheaper and you can get a view and all this stuff. Maybe it was even two and a half hours. And he's like, they think they're going to be remote forever. And I think they're not. You know, I, I don't think Apple's going remote with the big saucer, flying saucer campus there. And what are they going to do when they come back, you know, or when that happens? And so we were, we were chatting about that. And I said, boy, if they're, I mean, if they're developers or they have like skills, they can just work remote for someone else, probably, you know. So what, what's your take on this? I mean, ignoring COVID, this is just like what happened with Yahoo, right? Because they had a remote policy and then Marissa Mayer came in and then that was, it was like, oh, we're canceling the remote policy. Everyone has to come back into the office because there's still this like this pervasive idea that productivity is is tied to butts and seats. And so it was like, oh, look, we're, you know, we're taking this company and we're going to make it more productive by bringing people to the office and we're going to have all those like the quote unquote benefits of having butts and seats. So that was pre-COVID. And, you know, I, I think Yahoo got, I mean, Yahoo is its own thing. <laughs> like, who knows what's going on with Yahoo now? But I remember that happening in the Bay Area. And COVID happened, and that forced all these companies to adopt a remote policy. But I feel like that's going to be the same. It's the same thing. It's the COVID's lessening. The pandemic is lessening. It's allowing people to get fully vaccinated, have the possibility of people going back in the office. And companies, in ill-advised pursuit of efficiency and managers who have maybe not a lot of confidence in their teams or they don't, you know, are insecure managers, I want to say, are going to pursue bringing people back in the office so they can not have like the question over their head of, are my workers being as efficient as possible? So it's not something I agree with. Like we've always been hundred percent remote. I love working remote. I just look at Yahoo. I look at what's going on right now. And I'm, this is like a, like, duh, it's like watching these companies force people to come back in the office People are going to quit because now they realize there's more opportunities out there. I expected the companies to do this. What is different now is that so many companies have are going to be adopting more remote work that these companies that have, say, insecure managers and insecure C-suite teams that want to move people into the office, now they have more competition. Now that their workforce is aware of remote work and that I hope that 
I watch the industry. People are going to be trying to adopt these policies. People are going to be quitting. Other opportunities are going to show up that are fully remote. And that, again, you know, five or so years from now, there is going to be a major shift in the industry that started now because of COVID. So I'm not surprised, but I expect that, you know, this is going to be a, hopefully a long-term change. And that these companies that have, you know, insecurities around productivity, I expect them to have this reaction, but hopefully they'll change. It's interesting because I'm much less black and white on remote being the end-all be-all. Every company I've ever run has been remote or half remote. In Fresno, we were partially. Yeah, I didn't mention that. Yeah, I'm not black and white either, and I didn't really go into that. I actually think Tiny Seed, I wish, I wish we were half remote. I would love to work with you like two days out of the week. Yep, that's my ideal. So I, I think that is ideal for these companies as well. It's, I think I, the black and white thing is like whether fully remote versus fully in office. Like there's a lot of gray there. Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, that, and that's the tough part is every time I talk about remote, I talk about the best setup I ever had, and it was in Fresno, and there were five of us or six of us, I forget how many were in, and we did, it was two and a half days a week for me, you know, and some people showed up three, and actually, I think Anna worked there five days a week in the office, because it was just better than, she liked it better, she was alone half the time anyways, because none of us were there, but we were able to whiteboard, we had a lunch meeting, you know, our, our staff meeting was lunch, and we'd go out on Thursday, right, I mean, that was the, was the best, and then I could go home, put the headphones on, and not worry about you know, having to drive in those days, but that's really, it's really hard to do that. I guess not for, well, not for Apple, I guess. It's hard to do that if you're a small company or a bootstrapper, because if you're going to pay for an office anyways, that's a cost if you're only using it half the time. In addition, then it, it does restrict you to, I can only hire within a 30, 45 minute drive of, the, you know, and so you live in Canada, Anar's in California, I'm in Minneapolis, producer Xander you know, with MicroConf is, is in Hawaii, like, if I had to hire everyone in Minneapolis, it, we wouldn't have the team we have, right? So that's the, it instantly breaks that. So I, I really struggle with it. It's the same thing. If you were like, okay, tiny seed, COVID is over. We're going to pursue being in person in Minneapolis. Like I'd, I would have to quit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the same right? thing as a lady. I'm like, I don't want to, but I have to because I'm here. And, I, you know, and I feel like that's going to happen a lot of these companies where, yeah, like you said, like the example of someone who moved out of the Bay Area two hours out so they have a lower cost of living is going to be very unwilling to come back into that high cost of living area. And so that's maybe where this like this change is going to happen. It's just going to be interesting. You know, there's companies that can make this work. My first job out of university was at a tech company. That's my example of the in insecure manager because uh, over the four and a half years I was there, they got, they kept adding more and more policies to make us more efficient. So A, we were, we were all in the office. B, we started clocking in and clocking out. C, bonuses were tied to us working nine hours a day rather than eight. So if you only worked eight hours a day, we're not eligible for any bonuses. And so these, like, these policies kept like adding up, adding up because they're just like, we want to like extract all the productivity. Curious how they're doing now with uh, COVID. <laughs> I eventually quit because of that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hours do not equal productivity. And that's the thing is my kind of shades of gray or my spectrum view of this is not because I think, oh, I'm going to get more productivity out of people or I can make sure they're in their seats those two or three days a week. It is purely for the social interaction because, you know, a lot of the companies that say we're fully remote, like, you know, Basecamp's the typical example, they're all remote. From what I've heard, they hired a bunch of introverts, you know, and everyone in the world is not an introvert. And the extroverts I know don't love working remote. And especially, I mean, I have worked remote 20 years. 
literally two decades of working remote. I had some, a couple stints in there where I had jobs for a year or two. But in general, I've had a home office. Sometimes that was a desk in my living room when we had a small house or in my bedroom during COVID when I didn't have room. But I generally prefer remote, but I also miss a lot of the social. And it purely is social and the ability to sit in front of a whiteboard or to hash things out and to talk about. It's that water cooler conversation that just doesn't happen because you're not hanging out all day. You know, you just have other kind of wild thoughts that you drop on someone and that sparks something and then there's a brainstorm and then there's a, hey, can you, you know, and that's what I miss rather than being the hardcore, the manager. But I also understand, I think of Apple, you know, with thousands of people, that would be tough for me there have to be people that are just totally abusing it, you know, at that scale, right? At our scale, there's four of us, or at the drip scale, there were 10 of us. That was pretty easy for me to see who was shipping, what we were getting done, and to know that everybody was in on it. But if we were 100 or 1,000, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll say once we were absorbed into lead pages, which was about 170 plus us, so it was about 180 people total, it was three days in the office, two days work from home there were absolutely people that were kind of slacking off. And that's tough. And I don't know how quite to handle that, you know, other than to require people be in the office. Yeah. I mean, that happens if you're in the office all the time too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm not saying that not to defend myself, but I got really irritated at that one company constantly tracking hours. And one other thing they did was um, I wasn't allowed to have my phone out because then I could potentially be looking at my email on work hours. This is crazy. Uh, I wish I could name and shame them, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I know. I can't even, this is Yeah. Cr- I'll yeah, tell you stories later. Ugh. But it, um, what I did, <laughs> I, just, I, I just stared at the corner. I would just like take breaks and stare at the corner of the wall and kind to let myself drift off because there was no way that it can stop me because I was just so mad at their policies. <laughs> Anyways, that's not to, that's going off track, but it's a funny story. What I want to say is that that still happens. You know, that kind of there's still going to be workers out there that are maybe not performing as well as they could have. Maybe they're a, a worker that the company might want to like hire a person to replace that person. You know, maybe they're not as, I don't like, I don't like tying everything to productivity, but you know what I mean? Like there's the person is not necessarily like a good fit for the company. That doesn't matter whether they're remote or all in person. What it means is that companies need to have better ways of tracking the quality of work. You know, instead of just being hours in the office, like that company that I originally work at, that we're doing all we could. The person's here all the time. Why are, you know, this is as as efficient as we could be. Look at other metrics. And then those metrics can apply to whether someone is in the office or out of the office. And so hopefully this will force these companies to remove butts and seats and find other ways of, of tracking quality of work and productivity and whatnot. And if those things apply to in person or out of person, I think that overall it's going to be better for the company anyways. I love that you just said in person or out of person. That makes me feel like I'm leaving my body. (laughs) I'm floating. That's what my brain does. I'm on a, I'm, I'm thinking like two sentences ahead and forgetting what I'm currently talking about. It's all good. (laughs) Our next story is actually, so it is a a Twitter thread I'm going to be posting next week. I guess maybe I'll post it the day before day that this episode goes live, but it is about Tiny Seed and the end of our second batch, which is our 2020 batch. And we put together, I want to be careful, you know, audience, listener, who's sitting here listening, this is not going to be a big hooray for for us or hooray for Tiny Seed thing. But I did want to visit some, I think some milestones that some 
batch two folks achieved, as well as reflect on things that we did well and some things that maybe you need to work on, as well as just the structure. Like someone asked me in the last couple of weeks, like, how do you run a fully remote accelerator? Uh, and why were you running a remote accelerator before anyone else, right? Because we were running that pre-COVID. Now all accelerators have been remote for the last year, but we orchestrated and architected this to work that way. So, you know, actually this, this ties into our previous conversation when you're talking about tracking performance and quality and not necessarily be butts and seats, but more, you know, for us, some context around this is that we, before in the first batch, we were able to talk to our accelerator, the founders and the accelerator in person at and microconf and we're able to say like, how was this year for you? And kind of get the down low. And of course, fully remote, we were able to do that. So we have anonymous surveys because we want to know how well the accelerator is doing, which is especially important being that most of the people, actually all of the, no, I met a few people in batch two, our, our 2020 batch um, at microconf, but most people I've never met in person. And this is the only way we can, you know, we have a gut feel for how the year went, but how does this look from the founder side of things? Like how how well did this year go, even being that we had no in-person events and we had to do everything remotely? That's right. Because if you think that hiring someone remote is difficult, imagine writing someone a hundred and twenty dollars or $180,000 check remote, having never met them and, and only being able to talk to them via, via Zoom and email. So a couple, a couple numbers. So our, our first batch, our 2019 batch was 10 founders. 2020 batch that just ended was 13. And our spring 2021 batch, oh man, it's a lot. Spring 2021 batch is 18. But the 13 companies in our 2020 batch grew an average of 413% during the accelerator year. And while fundraising is not an implied goal of Tiny Seed, we had, I guess there's is one company who who secured their pre-seed round and two others who were basically about to wrap it up. We had our first acquisition, which was Sequel. Yeah, and and the founder of Sequel was on this very podcast just probably about six months ago. And so ThoughtSpot acquired them. Had some great milestones like Scraping Bee is great because they are very public with their revenues. So we can actually say, you know, exactly, not just percentage stuff, but uh, Scraping Bee was at 40K ARR when they applied or I don't know if it's when they applied or the batch started, but now they're at uh, north of $500,000 ARR. And the founders there told us that, that, you know, Tiny Seed played a huge part in that. And then Segmetrics, many of you know, know Keith Perhack. He's a longtime microconfer and has been on this podcast. The Segmetrics grew 10 times in the last 12 months and they're on track to hit mid seven figures ARR by the end of this year. So a lot of cool milestones, pretty stoked about it. It was a big bummer that we couldn't meet in person. Like that's my biggest, it's not a regret because it's like you can't do anything else. But the fact that we weren't, as you said, able to, to make that connection, I think was a, was a pretty big struggle. Yeah. I mean, like we always knew it was going to be, it's going to be remote and we want to help companies in these founders grow their businesses, help them reach what you say, escape velocity, which I think some of those stats, we were successful in helping those, those companies reach those milestones. But a huge thing is also just kind of community between founders and allowing, you know, especially for solo founders, we talked to a lot of our solo founders, it gives them a sounding board, a, you know, people to talk to, and all these things that we can do remotely fairly well. But there's something about getting in person and having this group of people all together in person. I mean, it's the same thing as a company working remotely is fine with you and me and Xander and Anar, but there's, it's a different feel when you do have those like in-person meetings, in-person events and whatnot. And so that was, you know, it's a bummer that we weren't, we were able to like 
have a lot of community. That is something that I do feel there was a difference. There's a difference in feeling between the 2019 and 2020 batches. And I think it has to do with the fact that there wasn't any in-person events. We're hopefully to have like a, you know, as things open up this fall, we are planning to have some sort of in-person event, like a makeup retreat for the 2020 batch, um, hopefully to you know, kind of add that in at the end and kind of solidify all those relationships we were able to do remotely. But there, I will say that I do feel like there was a different feel and it was interesting to to have that experience, I guess. And I think when we did that anonymous survey, thankfully, it seems like people still got a lot out of the program without those in-person events. I am looking forward to bringing them back in, though, and kind of reestablishing that that side of Tennessee. Yeah, it's a big deal. It makes a huge difference. And I think, you know, when we originally started Tiny Seed, we said, let's have four in-person retreats per year. And that means that every four months, you essentially get together. And the founders told us, this is too often. Like, I'm busy and I don't want to travel every four months. So then we made it six months apart, which means you have three retreats. So beginning of the program, end of the program, and middle of the program, to be clear. Yep, Mm -hmm. every six months. And that, I think we haven't had a chance to do that yet, but I feel like that's going to be perhaps our optimum cadence. And the reason I'm calling this out is what if we were running a team, let's say we were a team of 20 people. Would six months be the optimal cadence or would we want to meet more frequently, like every three or four months? Because I know that there are certain companies that only have one. I think Zapier has like one retreat a year. There's a lot of people working there, right? It's like they spend a quarter million dollars or something, you know, or more to get them together. So it's not something they can do, you know, they could probably want to do every quarter. But what do you think would be the optimal? Because working with founders is one thing and they're busy and they're doing their thing and we get together and we mastermind. But we are not managing them as teammates, you know, as employees versus an actual team that's working together in a startup. What's your take on optimum cadence of face-to-face? So one of the reasons why we went from four to three was because we talked to the founders in the first batch and four retreats per year meant more time away from their family, more time away from their company. So it's different when it comes to like, say, a team because that, you know, maybe four retreats per year or whatever you choose, it's not technically time away from the company. You're still working on your company while you're at those retreats. That then gets the biggest difference between retreats for founders who are working on a company versus say a, you know, tiny seed, if tiny seed was like 80 people. So I think it's really important for companies to have those in-person experiences. And those are the kind of things that don't necessarily take away from work because instead of working on say the nitty gritty day to day, that gives you that time that you should be doing as a company anyways, to think high level, what's the next three, six, whatnot months. And that's something that I think it depends on the company on how remote they are. If you are very international, every three months would would suck. Every year, I think, is doable. Yeah, if you're going to get your team together, we're we're talking about founder stuff, but if you have a team at a startup and you're going to get them together, like I found a really nice cadence is to have about half the time be work and half the time be not. And that's, or it's even like two thirds not work where you have a work session in the morning, maybe through lunch or early afternoon, and then you have an afternoon fun hangout, and then you have a dinner fun hangout. And usually, if you can, have a dinner fun hangout the night before because everyone gets in and it's like, oh man, I haven't seen you in a while. So you're a lot taller than I thought you'd be. You know, you have all that weird stuff and you're chatting. And and then by the time you get to the work session the next morning, you have an, some type of agenda, right? And we do masterminds, but that wouldn't make sense if you're a team of, you know, five, 10, 50 people, but you do have an agenda of like, these are things we're going to hammer through. And then there is space for other things to crop up. And then again, after you leave that in the, in the early afternoon, usually that's then a bunch of time 
to continue that conversation and let it go wherever. That's where it goes naturally, you know? That's the best part. Yeah, the spontaneity, the the little things that you don't expect. Yep. Tracy Osborne, thank you so much for joining me today. You are Tracy Makes on Twitter and TracyOsborne.com if folks want to keep up with what you're up to. Yeah. And if you are looking to pick up some design skills, I have a beginner design book that is being published through No Starch called Hello Web Design. So if you Google for that, you'll probably find find it on the internet. But it is my, um, it's a republished book. I originally self-published it. It was successful. I was able to sell it to a publisher. So that's how you know there's a stamp of approval. It is good work. So if you're looking to pick up, lo- looking to add design skills on top of your current stack, um, check out my book. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you. Nice being here. Thanks again for joining me today. I got a five-star review, one of the best podcasts for SaaS founders. It's from Only One DA. Thank you, Rob. Loving the podcast. It's motivating me to keep going. We have 906 worldwide ratings, 397 worldwide reviews across 47 countries. If you haven't left us a rating, that'd be awesome. I'm on a drive to get to 1,000. I want four figures of five-star reviews. I really appreciate you listening all these years. Every week since 2010, we've been talking about bootstrapping, mostly bootstrapping, building ambitious yet capital-efficient companies that change our lives. And I hope you join me again next Tuesday morning.